We now move to the uh, second case on today's docket, which is the state of Florida versus Marsh. Please the court. I'm Peter Koklanis with the Attorney General's Office for the state. Elizabeth Marsh committed four crimes when she rear-ended two teenagers while impaired by numerous controlled substances. She committed DUI with serious bodily injury as to both victims, and she committed DWLS, or driving while license suspended, with serious bodily injury as to both victims. The second district erred in finding that the single homicide rule prohibits double convictions for these classes of crimes. <clears throat> this court must abolish the single homicide rule in order to properly respect the legislative intent to adopt the Blockburger statute as the default statutory test under the law. Now, let's take a look at the statute. Section 775.021 is a clear and comprehensive statute which abolishes lenity, adopts the Blockburger test across the board, and simply needs no room, leaves no room, for grandfathering a fourth exception uh, that is not listed in the statute. Now I'll read some excerpts of language from the statute. <clears throat> Whoever commits an act or acts which constitute one or more separate criminal offenses, now notice we're using the blanket term criminal offenses, not drawing distinctions based on whether it's a homicide or not, whether there's a serious injury or not. It goes on, such person shall be sentenced separately so we have a shall that the legislature is mandating that the sentencing shall be separately, although the trial judge has discretion whether to do it consecutively or not. Uh, offenses are separate if each offense requires proof of an element that the other does not. The intent of the legislature is to convict and sentence for each criminal offense in one episode and not to allow the principle of lenity. Now this language is as clear as it gets in terms of spelling out the legislative intent to abolish lenity and to ad adopt the Blockburger test as the default statutory test. And this statute creates what I'm going to call three problems to grandfathering the single homicide rule, three reasons we can't do it. <coughs> the first reason is the unqualified language, the blanket term criminal offenses, which does not have a parenthesis that says except homicides, and the blanket abolishment of lenity, which does not qualify except for the single homicide rule and the blanket statement of legislative intent to convict and sentence for each criminal offense. There's no qualification in there about homicides. That's the first reason. Uh, the second reason is that the statute explicitly abolishes lenity, and if we look close into case law, we see that the single homicide rule is based on lenity and arose under lenity. In fact, Carawan explicitly identifies Hauser as an application of lenity, and Hauser uses obsolete language that was overruled in Valdez and was only true under lenity. For example, Hauser says that section 775.021 is just a tool or an aid. Well, that's not true. That was overruled in Valdez. Well, if, and if it wasn't lenity, what else could it be? I well, mean, exactly. <laughs> it, it has to be lenity because double jeopardy jurisprudence is, begins and ends with legislative intent. So 
you would solely look to the legislative intent, and then only if there was an ambiguity would you use lenity. But there's no room in double jurisprudence for basically a common law sort of fairness doctrine based on judicial equity or something. It's, it's always been all about legislative intent. And the third reason that the single homicide rule is not a reasonable, uh, reasonably added to the statute is that legislative lists are presumed exhaustive. And this statute contains an, a list of three exceptions, and it states that exceptions to this rule of construction are. It doesn't say include or include but are not limited to. It states exceptions to this rule of construction are one, two, three. So that lines up perfectly with the canon of statutory construction that we should assume a legislative list to be exhaustive and the complete statement of the legislature's opinion on the matter. We would have to ignore all three of these problems to grandfather the single homicide rule. Now, any one of these alone, for example, looking at the first paragraph of this statute alone, would be enough to convince some judges to employ a black letter sort of textualist uh, interpretation, and that's what you see in Hauser. Hauser was in 1985 before the 1988 amendment, and even in Hauser you have a dissent who's advocating, let's just strictly apply the statute, the legislative intent is clear to adopt Blockburger. And you have another couple dissenters in Carawan who are advocating the same thing. We should be strictly applying this statute. Now, they didn't win the day until Valdez when this court finally accepted that this statute is not just a tool or an aid to legislative intent. It is the complete definitive statement of legislative intent. Now, if we look at the statute, it would not be that disruptive or that big of a change to abolish the single homicide rule and employ this Blockburger statute across the board. It already has three exceptions, which would naturally limit the way that we could prosecute homicides. For example, if they were lesser included of one another, or if they were identical elements or degree variants as provided by statute, the Blockburger statute would offer protection, double jeopardy protection to homicide defendants in that you could not punish those twice. And that would apply to all murders under 782.04 because they would all be degree variants, first degree murder, second degree murder, felony murder. It would also subsume manslaughter because manslaughter is a necessary lesser included of murder. It's a category one lesser. So that would be swept up by the lesser included. So the reality is that would, there would be very few cases in which we could actually prosecute a murder twice. It would have to have different elements, and it would only actually arise in a few sort of traffic crime permutations where there was a different traffic offense plus a death, and you know, if there was a unique element, then it could arise. This case would be an example of charges if there had been a death. But there would, be, there would not be very many. And if we adopted that position and strictly applied Blockburger across the board, even as to homicides, that would bring uniformity and consistency to the case law and would adopt the simplicity of the Valdez rule even for homicides. Now the second reason that this court should abolish the single homicide rule <coughs> is because it is, if we're being honest, a form of lenity. Can I, I'm sorry to interrupt you. Huh? Um, but we don't have to abolish the single homicide rule in order to get the result in this case that you want, right? I mean, I understand that there would be tension between what we would have to do in this case and the single homicide rule, but... Technically, you could evade it by writing a kind of 
mealy-mouthed opinion that says, without directly addressing whether the single homicide rule exists and not expressing an opinion one way or the other, we find that it does not apply to this. Uh, but I mean, it wouldn't. Have, I mean, mealy mouth. Anyway. Well, <laughs> what we I would mean just say that. the single homicide rule applies to homicides, and we would look at this and apply the statute. And True. and then in a later case that involved a homicide, then we would have to deal with whether whether the single homicide rule was actually justified. But if you did it that way, you would be setting up precedent that it still exists as to homicides, and then you'd have to make a more... Why would we have to... What do you mean we would be setting precedent that it's... Well, in exists? the way you phrased it, you said the single homicide rule is limited to homicides. Well, we would say our case is a deal, you know, that, that address the single homicide rule, as the label suggests, deal with homicides, and this isn't a homicide case, so... True, but I think it's still a threshold question. Whenever you're trying to apply a doctrine, they're trying to expand it to this case. A valid question that you can always ask is, does that doctrine even still exist? We could write a non-mealy mouth opinion that said the issue is still out there, right? True. And if the court feels that it's not ripe, then the court could do that. However, I do feel that in order to honestly answer the question of, does the single homicide rule apply to this, we can't just say, we kind of have to know our reasoning for what, why it still exists. If it survived Valdez, what is the reasoning? What is it based on, as you said, if not lenity, then what? Because depending on the answer to what is it based on, that might dictate whether it expands. If it was some independent due process fairness principle, well then, the second district might have a point that there would be no reason to limit it to homicide. So you kind of have to examine the foundation of it. And in the course of examining the foundation, You'll not only answer the question of whether, unless we just say, "Well, it's different." True, and and that that is something that uh, if if that's a, a a reasoned way to go forward, that the, that the is mealy, a the mealy right. mouth option. <laughs> the state would respectfully suggest that in an, in strictly applying the statute, we should not simply kind of punt it for another day. And, uh, and draw a line in the sand saying, well, homicide's different. I think we have to start at the statute and have a, a very compelling reason not to apply the statute across the board. And that's why you know, we shouldn't arbitrarily draw a line in the sand for homicides versus other crimes and, and leave it for another day. Now, this court already essentially held that the statute is to be strictly applied under Valdez. And a reasonable reading of Valdez, although it doesn't explicitly abolish the single homicide rule, a reasonable reader of Valdez could think it probably doesn't survive Valdez. In fact, that's what Judge Badalamenti says in McCullough in his footnote, that he doesn't see how the single homicide rule would be viable in light of Valdez, although he didn't have the authority to go there. It would be this court's job to do that. Um, but given, and there's also language in Valdez, and again, this is just an example that was used in Valdez, it's not a holding, but the Valdez court cites some language from State versus Paul in which they give a list of crimes, theft, murder, manslaughter, and arson, and say, these are examples of degree variance under the second exception. Now that suggests that we are applying all crimes, including murder and manslaughter, applying the Blockburger statute to every crime equally. Because if indeed the single homicide rule existed, why would we ever bother examining the second exception under the Blockburger? Because it doesn't matter whether they're degree variants. It doesn't matter whether they have unique elements. They're always going to be categorically banned by the single homicide rule. Now, we're just reading between the lines in Valdez, but a reasonable reading of Valdez suggests that this court has adopted a strict application of the Blockburger statute without any exceptions. 
So if there are no other questions, I'll reserve for rebuttal. Clock doesn't start till I start talking. So, well, at some point you, <laughs> you need to go. <laughs> I'm going to go. May it please the court. My name is Lee Levinson, and I am pro bono uh, counsel for Elizabeth Marsh. Um, Elizabeth Marsh. Um, was uh, driving. Um, she was not drunk. She had uh, some prescription medication in her, and she hit another car with two teenagers. You see, that had it, the benefit of having a driver's license either. She right? she did not have a driver's license, so she was driving when she shouldn't have been driving. Um, and she injured two uh, teenagers. Nobody was killed, um, and we have it on information and belief that they have made. Uh, full recoveries. Elizabeth Marsh went to um, the circuit court in Polk County and um, tried to do the right thing, and she pled straight up to the um, court. And she was shocked, um, as I was shocked when I heard about this, um, when she was sentenced to um, aggravated circumstances on each count and um, sentenced to 20 years in prison, five years a count um, times four uh, consecutive uh, sentences. And so uh, she appealed to the second DCA and the second DCA um, said that uh, based on um, the uh, Kelly case and based on Cooper, and Chapman that um, that was a violation of her due process um, her, her due process rights now um, the state uh, wants you to uh, takes a position that um, lenity is abolished well lenity can't be abolished because it's a right that we have under the Fifth Amendment, and it's a right that we have under Article One, Section 9 of the Florida State Constitution. And this court is the bulwark against the government violating people's constitutional rights. And that's why we're here. The state wants us to, um, wants this court to um, abolish uh, the single homicide rule, um, and this court has um, that—that's the law of the land. The single homicide rule. Um, now, um, Kelly extended the the uh, single homicide rule to uh, cases where there is serious bodily injury, and the reason this case is before the court, as you know, is because um, the second DCA adopted that position and um, the uh, fifth DCA um, adopted the position in lot. 
um, in the Lott case where um, they said the single homicide rule um, doesn't apply to that case just because that defendant didn't kill someone. And um, it's a meaningless, uh, it's really a meaningless distinction because um, both statutes, the, the DUI statute and the DWLS statute, punish for aggravating circumstances and enhance the sentence. And um, that happened two times in this case. It should only happen in one. So the second DCA said, okay, you can enhance on the DUIs, but to enhance on the DWLS, because it's the same basic um, wrong, it's the same basic act, um, you can't do that. So the, um, you know, the, the court said, uh, we're going to remand to the trial court that, um, you know, that position and um, you can sentence her to the five years on each DUI, but not to the five years consecutive on the DWLS. It was just uh, fundamentally, fundamentally unfair under, um, the due pro under her due process rights. Counsel, I'm sorry to interrupt you there. Why, why wasn't it error, though, for the court here not to even apply to go through the statute? I beg your pardon? The court didn't even, it looks like in their analysis, they didn't even walk through the 775 statute and make an effort to show how their result could be squared with that. Well, Your Honor, um, the, um, the statute doesn't uh, abolish, uh, contrary to what the, state, the state's position, the, the statute doesn't abolish um, lenity. And um, I think that that's why the court uh, did that. And I, I don't know. I don't know why they, uh, you know, made their analysis the way they made their analysis. I haven't spoken with them or anything. But um, I thought their analysis was um, more reasonable than the lot analysis. But the do you concede, though, that if we do apply the statute that we would have to quash this decision? No. I think that if you um, if you follow the statute, the statute has in it. Um, let me just uh, find it right here. Um, Seven seventy five point oh two one states. Um, at subparagraph one, that uh, when a statute is susceptible to different constructions, it shall be construed most favorably to the accused. That doesn't abolish lenity. That is lenity. Well, so read on. The, read on. I mean, we understand that the statute establishes a statutory rule of lenity, but the, the, the statute specifically addresses the circumstances in which the rule is not to be applied when the legislature has decided that in, this, uh, in one criminal episode um, uh, there are acts that violate separate provisions of the statute, of, of the statutes. Isn't that correct? The, it it um, says offenses which are um, lesser offenses the uh, statutory elements of which are subsumed by the greater offense. 
And if you're referencing that, that is um, clearly what happens in a DUI, DWLS. Any of us who have served as public defenders or prosecutors know that. And um, so it's, it's treated with in the statute. But these, but these, these offenses are entirely different offenses. Uh, the the, D, the DUI is one thing. The driving without the uh, uh, with a, on a, a suspended license that's an entirely different thing. I mean, there are two different things the legislature is trying to to proscribe, uh, and and they're entirely distinct. It's not like they're, uh, one is subsumed by the other. I don't I, they're, because they're so they're entirely different. I, I mean, this would be the. the Sometimes maybe you could there'd be some argument that um, uh, even if it's some different place in the statute that it would be subsumed, subsumed. But these are are different. The the un, the conduct is entirely different. The, it may it may get rolled in to one sequence of events. The conduct is the same. They're driving when they shouldn't be driving. Well, I, I think the the legally relevant point is that the the DeWillis charge has a suspended license, driving with suspended license, and that's not part of the separate charge of the DUI with great bodily injury, correct? That, that is correct. Okay, and then the DUI with great bodily injury has the element of um, impairment, which is not a part of the separate crime of DeWillis causing great bodily injury, correct? They share, they, uh, share there, the... There's no impairment requirement for the DeWillis charge. Correct. Okay, so so there are separate crimes because the legislature has defined different conduct as part of each separate crime. I mean, that's what legally distinguishes them as separate crimes. Correct. In um, I mean, yes, your honor. Okay, so um, and and you understand that if you go through the seven seventy five analysis, that because they each have elements that the other doesn't have, that they qualify for punishment, even though it was the same occurrence or transaction. I mean, that, you recognize that, right? I mean, that's, there are plenty of cases that interpret and apply the statute, and all of them do it that way. Um, I have... Let me see here. In Valdez, um, in Valdez, um, which this uh, court decided in uh, two thousand nine. Um, this court said that um, the court should not mechanically apply section 775.0214 so as to obtain unreasonable results. Um, and
the, the court went on um, to analyze 775. Um, and stated that um, the statute itself creates an exception for crimes um, that are degrees of the same offense as provided, but the court doesn't apply it mechanically, even though um, the elements might be um, slightly different. Um, it's the, the court talks about By its very language, this exception is intended to apply narrowly. It, prohi it prohibits separate punishments when a, only when a criminal statute provides for variations in degree of the, of the same offense so that the defendant would be punished for violating two or more degrees of the single, a single offense. But then it goes on to say um, that it's not necessary for the legislature to use the word degree in defining crime in order for the degree to for the degree variant exception to apply. Well, um, are you contending that the degree variant exception applies here? No, but I'm, I'm I think the reasoning I, I think that the reasoning applies here and this court um, at least in 2009 did not want to mechanically apply uh, 775 um, in a way that would get unreasonable results and um, also I think it's I'm not sure exactly what that means in this context unreasonable um, results um, well, well me mechanically apply I mean th th there are three exceptions to the rule that multiple convictions arising out of the same criminal episode are to be punished separately. There are three exceptions. And we've already talked about exception one. This is, these are not offenses which require identical elements of proof, correct? Yes, it's okay. not. Exception two, you just said that you're not contending <laughs> that these are degree variants, so that would be exception two. Yes. And then offenses which are lesser offenses the statutory elements of which are assumed within a greater offense. You're not contending that it's that exception. I'm not, but it also... Okay, so so we, we've just not mechanically applied, but just looked at the exceptions, and, and you've conceded that these separate crimes don't fit either, any of the three exceptions. So, But the statute also um, leaves open if there's ambiguity in there to decide those. Where's the ambiguity? I think that there's an ambiguity in the word subsumed, and that's what the court talked about in Valdez. And it says, uh, for example, it talks about how you don't have to have um, a fit into one of those uh, three categories that you were just uh, talking about, Your Honor. Um, it says that um, the, the, example, the only time the word subsumed appears in the statute is the third exception, offenses which are lesser offenses, the statutory elements of which are subsumed by the greater offense. Um, how is the word in context in any way ambiguous, relevant to the question that we're looking at? It's not, but, you have, but when we interpret a statute, we have to try to harmonize it with constitutional 
jurisprudence. And this court is not, can't be bound by the legislature to do unconstitutional things or well, to glass. On that point, where, where is it written that due process requires lenity? Where is that principle established? Where did the U.S. Supreme Court pronounce that? Or where did we pronounce that? that? The United States Supreme Court um, stated that in United States versus Wiltberger, um, Chief Justice uh, Marshall uh, justified the rule of lenity on grounds of constitutional rights and um, structure legislative supremacy. And that means that ah, before yes. we'll let a legislature... supremacy. That doesn't mean the legislature is the king or, the, or can do unconstitutional things. What it means is that when we're looking at laws, we try to interpret them and harmonize them uh, with um, the Fifth Amendment, say, or Section 1, Article 9 of the Florida State Constitution. And if 772 is butting up against that, um, it's unconstitutional. And this sentence is unconstitutional. <coughs> You're not, the legislature isn't your boss. You're the boss. So, I, I'm, okay, are you, are you making a, a constitutional double, je double jeopardy argument or due process argument? They're uh, related, but um, it is uh, due, uh, double jeopardy is based in, as you know, um, uh, due process. It's, a, it's, it's um, the same fundamental fairness of notice, statutory notice in this case. But, but, but doesn't the jurisprudence make clear that if the legislature wants to impose multiple punishments for a single course of conduct um, because they're trying to vindicate different policy objectives, that they're free to do that, and that does not violate double jeopardy. It's just that they have to, they have to actually do it, and it can't be, uh, uh, we've got to know that they're doing it, um, but isn't, isn't that, isn't that doesn't that fairly sum up the, the double jeopardy jurisprudence when it comes to legislative power? No, uh, I don't. I don't think that's a fair. I don't think that's a fair analysis because, um, you know, I think this court got it right in State v. Cooper, um, six thirty four Southern Second ten seventy four, where. Um, but this aren't court, all this those cases where really about what, we're an assumption about what the legislature intended? And that, doesn't that case really, that, that whole line uh, is based on an assumption about legislative intention, not based on, on a constitutional restriction on legislative power? It is, um, no, no, it's based on also uh, telling the legislature that you can't punish, you can't, um, punish the same injury uh, twice. You can't punish for the same injury twice. That's the basis for the single homicide rule as well. You can't punish someone twice for the same death. And that same um, 
that same analysis applies to a serious bodily injury. You can't punish a um, serious bodily injury um, twice, and that's what's happening in this case. Does anybody have any more questions? Um, I know you're against me. <laughs> um, but I, I just I yeah, found these questions this are sometimes just rhetorical questions. No, <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> I said sometimes. I did say sometimes. <laughs> you, you began and ended with unusual candor. We appreciate that. Yeah, we, and you. appreciate your pro bono service. Yeah, we, we thank you. And we uh, thank you. Okay. Thank you, Judge. I'll just make a few brief points. I did have one thought regarding why you should address abolishing the single homicide rule now rather than wait later. And I think the reason is that when, if the court determines it is an error and agrees that it was error to keep the single homicide rule because it's completely outside of the Blockburger statute, that's the error, that we're you know, just sidestepping the statute, operating outside the statute, and ignoring the connection in lenity, which was abolished. If the court agrees that's an error, the court should not wait because as of now, the DCAs are still bound by Cooper and Chapman. So if you wait three years for a case that comes along three years from now, the DCAs will continue doing erroneous decisions for three years. And not only will that deprive the state of the correct law in those cases, it'll deprive the state of the ability to use the Blockburger test in those cases, um, and it will deprive the legislature of its right to have the correct law applied during that three years. And it will also, you know, generate more incorrect case law, which may have an effect on stare decisis. It wouldn't necessarily mean we have to keep the single homicide rule, but the defense attorney three years from now will be able to argue, well, it's been 13 years since Valdez and we haven't overturned it yet. Whereas now it's only been nine or 10 years since Valdez. So there's less deeply rooted, you know, sort of erroneous case law, and it would be easier to pull off the Band-Aid now than three years from now. Now, Florida State is kind of unique in that we've adopted the Blockburger test statutorily not once but twice. The legislature passed it in 1983, the first paragraph, and then they passed an amendment in 1988 making it 100% clear that this is not just a tool of statutory interpretation. This is the clear, precise statement of intent. So Florida is, Florida's test is not just a tool of statutory construction. It's a mandate to impose dual punishment whenever the, the crimes have unique elements or, you know, do not satisfy the statutory exceptions. And there's no reason to assume uh, a single homicide rule exception to that. And my final point is that it, it doesn't really make sense for the legislature to not intend to punish homicide twice in light of what they do intend in Blockburger. You could view Blockburger as kind of a rule of severity, that if a crime has a unique element, regardless of what the other elements are, regardless of whether it's the same evil, it has a unique element and doesn't apply for these exceptions, you can punish it twice. That's a, a, a strict and severe rule, although it still gives the judge discretion not to sentence consecutively. It, it you know, increases the statutory max. If that is their intent with every non-homicide crime, as it clearly is under Valdez and under the statute, why would they intend 
to exempt murderers and give murderers a more merciful, lenient, one kill, one conviction rule. We don't apply that merciful rule to child molesters or rapists or arsonists. All of those other non-homicide crimes are subject to a strict Blockburger. So it doesn't make sense for the legislature to have two states of mind, a strict Blockburger as to non-homicides and a merciful, archaic, common law double jeopardy well, and test. Is there any potential textual basis for finding such a, a, a different states of legislative mind on this? Absolutely state. not. Absolutely not. It really just comes from the Chapman sort of phrase, putting words in the legislature's mouth. You know, it, it essentially adds words to the statute, but they wouldn't have intended to punish homicide twice, which, as I argued in the reply brief, is really just a way of saying under lenity we would have presumed that, but you know, that was only true in the 1970s when we were operating under lenity. We can no longer assume that after the 1988 statute. This is not legally relevant to the issues that are raised, but I'm just curious, do you agree that this is a, an unusually harsh sentence? The not under these facts. Okay. I think that this gives the trial judge discretion to make the call, and the elements of this crime don't even reflect some of the aggravating facts that were brought out at sentencing, such as this was her third DUI. That's not even an element, so that's not reflected uh, as part of the aggravating factors. And the trial judge was there to see her extreme addiction. He obviously didn't see any end in sight. And the fact that she was warned twice not to drive, twice her keys were taken away, and she continued driving. I mean, he basically saw a woman who was out of control and might very well take someone down with her uh, in the course of driving, and almost did with these two kids. So. This is reasonable, and obviously the victim's families expressed that they thought that the state's initial 10-year offer, which did not get accepted, was too light. The victim's families wanted severe, serious sentence and didn't even want restitution. So they were happy with this 20-year sentence, and in, the, in his discretion, the trial judge was within the statutory bounds, and it was a reasonable sentence. So we would ask you to quash the second district's opinion in Marsh and reinstate all Marsh's original convictions and sentences. If there's no other questions, thank you. All right. Well, we thank you both for your arguments, and the court will now stand in recess for about 10 minutes.